Section 1C Aviation and Operations in World War II 1.13 Air Power in World War II Allied powers that existed at the onset of World War II in 1939 consisted of a long list of countries France, Poland, the United Kingdom, British India, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and South Africa. Soon, the Balkans, Netherlands, Belgium, Greece, and Yugoslavia joined the alliance as well. By 1942, the countries emerged as the United Nations and brought the United States, Russia, and China on board to stop the Axis powers. The Axis powers consisted of Germany, Japan, and Italy. If World War I signaled air power's promise, World War II fulfilled the vision. In every aspect of aerial combat, air power served as a force multiplier. Air superiority proved to be a prerequisite for successful land, sea, and air operations. 1.14 Ramping up Recognizing the need for a robust national defense, in 1940, President Franklin D. Roosevelt called for American industry to build 50,000 military aircraft a year in preparation for defending our nation's interests. That same year, Congress passed the first peacetime conscription law in United States history, mandating that all able-bodied men join the service. At the time, the U.S. Army Air Corps inventory was merely 1,800 aircraft and 18,000 men in total. The Air Corps planned for 24 operational combat-ready groups by 1941, which called for greatly enhanced manpower, training, and equipment. Although American industry was ready to move forward with production, aeronautical designs, blueprints, tools, dyes, airframes, engines, factories, skilled workers, and countless other components of an aviation industry, they would require time to develop. On 7 December 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Imperial Japan dealt a devastating blow to the United States at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by sinking or heavily damaging several military battleships in two waves of approximately 350 Japanese aircraft. Also, our military aircraft made prime targets for Japanese aviators as they continued their attack that same day by destroying an entire fleet refueling on the ground in the Philippines. On 8 December 1941, the United States declared war on Japan. Three days later, we were at war with Germany and Italy as allies of Japan. Despite the fact that the attack on Pearl Harbor was what formally brought the United States into the war, the war in Europe and the defeat of Germany would take precedence. Reflecting on 1930s Air Corps tactical school doctrine of using massive force to destroy the enemy's will and capability to fight through long-range strategic bombardment, by 1942, American factories produced 47,800 aircraft, and by 1944, the inventory rose to an astronomical 96,300. Also, by March 1944, Air Force manpower reached over 2 million. During the war, the majority of enlisted airmen served in roles that never took them into the air. But without their efforts, no bombs would have dropped and no war could have been waged. Taking into account all the support personnel in the Army Air Corps, the ratio of airmen to aircraft was about 70 to 1. American industrial production, strategic target bombing, new tactics, enhanced training, greater budgets, and new aircraft with greater range, speed, and maneuverability all proved to be key factors to an Allied victory. 1.15 Prohibition of Discrimination 
Executive Orders 8802 and 9981. In 1941, President Roosevelt signed Executive Order 8802, prohibiting racial discrimination within the services. Civil rights activists saw promise for desegregation with Executive Order 8802, requiring vocational and training programs to be administered without discrimination for race, creed, color, or national origin. The order made progress, but did not end segregation. When the U.S. Air Force became a distinct service in 1947, segregation policies restricted black airmen to all black units or segregated service squadrons. In 1948, President Harry S. Truman signed Executive Order 9981 to abolish racial discrimination. On 11 May 1949, Air Force Letter 35.3 was published, mandating that black airmen be reassigned to formerly all-white units according to qualifications. Within a year, virtually the entire Air Force was integrated with few incidents. The Tuskegee Airmen In 1944, the first Tuskegee Airmen to fight in World War II were members of the 99th Fighter Squadron, a unit commanded by black West Point graduate Colonel Benjamin O. Davis, Jr. Soon after battling German aircraft over the skies of Anzio, Italy in their P-40 aircraft, they were joined by a second Tuskegee unit, the 332D fighter group with their P-39s. The Tuskegee Airmen's obsolete aircraft were replaced later that year by P-47s and P-51s, respectively, and the crews flew bomber escort missions until the German surrender in the spring of 1945. By the end of World War II, Nearly 1,000 black Americans had proudly and rightfully earned their wings. Through determination to prove their patriotism, valor, and skill in combat, these aviators, forever called the Tuskegee Airmen, struck a significant blow against racism in America. The Tuskegee Airmen destroyed 111 enemy aircraft in air-to-air -air combat, losing 66 of their own aircraft. As a tribute to their skill, courage, and determination, the Tuskegee Airmen amassed a distinguished combat record on their 200 escort missions into Germany. The Tuskegee Airmen's actions in the skies over North Africa, the Mediterranean, Sicily, Italy, Austria, Yugoslavia, France, Romania, and Germany dispelled myths, opened eyes, rewrote history, and prepared the U.S. Air Force for being the first of the U.S. armed services to integrate racially. First African-American general in the U.S. Army, Benjamin O. Davis, Jr. General Benjamin O. Davis, Jr. was the commander of the famed World War II Tuskegee Airmen. He was also the son of General Benjamin O. Davis, Sr., the first black general in the U.S. Army. Davis graduated from West Point in 1936 and was commissioned as an infantry officer. He was a Reserve Officer Training Corps Instructor at Tuskegee Institute from 1938 to 1941 and became one of the first African Americans admitted to pilot training. In 1970, Davis retired as the Senior African American Officer in the U.S. Armed Forces. Upon retirement, he organized a Special Force of Sky Marshals to help combat aircraft hijacking, and in July 1971, he was appointed as Assistant Secretary of Transportation where he remained until he retired in 1975. On 8 December 1998, in a ceremony at the White House, President William J. Clinton promoted Davis to the rank of four-star general, the first American volunteer group. In early 1941, the first American volunteer group, known as the Flying Tigers, 
was organized to reinforce nationalist China's efforts against Japanese invaders, recruited under U.S. presidential authority, and led by Captain Claire Lee Chenault, who eventually rose to the rank of lieutenant general. The Flying Tigers included pilots from the U.S. Army Air Corps, U.S. Navy and Marine Corps, as well as a few civilians. The group of volunteers were officially members of the Chinese Air Force and had contracts with salaries ranging from $250 a month for mechanics to $750 for squadron commanders, roughly three times what they had been making previously. The three Flying Tiger squadrons, consisting of the Adam and Eves, Panda Bears, and Hells Angels, maintained around 30 aircraft each. The shark-faced nose art of the Flying Tigers remains among the most recognizable image of any individual combat aircraft or combat unit of World War II. The American Volunteer Group was credited with destroying almost 300 enemy aircraft, but lost 14 pilots in combat. In the book, Flying Tigers, Claire Chenault and His American Volunteers, 1941-1942, the author, Daniel Ford, attributes the American Volunteer Group's success to morale and group esprit de corps. He notes that the pilots were triple volunteers who had volunteered for service with the United States military, the American Volunteer Group, and engaged in brutal fighting in Burma. They were clearly a corps of experienced and skilled volunteer pilots who wanted to fight. On 4 July 1942, the Flying Tigers were disbanded and replaced by the 23rd Fighter Group of the U.S. Army Air Forces. Women's Army Auxiliary Corps The Women's Army Auxiliary Corps was created in May 1942 and within a year became the Women's Army Corps, which was essentially the women's branch of the U.S. Army. Women served with distinction, replacing men who could then be reassigned to combat and other vital duties. What initially began with 800 women in training eventually rose to 150,000 during World War II. A top priority assignment for women was to serve at aircraft warning service stations. Many others were assigned as clerical and administrative assistants, topographers, medical specialists, chemists, and even aircraft mechanics. Some commanders were reluctant to accept women into their units, but General Dwight D. Eisenhower lauded the women's contributions to the force for providing immeasurable efficiency, skill, spirit, and determination. Greatest Female Aviator of All Time Jacqueline Cochran Jacqueline Cochran is remembered for competing in and winning several flying events and performing record-breaking missions with regard to altitude, distance, and speed. During World War II, Cochran organized efforts for 25 women to fly for Great Britain and she was the first woman to fly a bomber across the Atlantic Ocean. In 1943, she was appointed to the U.S. Army Air Forces and served as director of the Women's Air Force Service Pilots Training Program. Colonel Cochran received the Distinguished Service Medal for her service. In 1971, she was inducted into the National Aviation Hall of Fame. Her efforts helped her earn titles, such as the most outstanding woman pilot in the world and the greatest female aviator of all time. In 1975, Cochran was the first woman to be honored with a permanent display of her memorabilia at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Most Decorated Woman in United States Military History Lillian K. Keel A pioneer in passenger care, Captain Lillian K. Keel successfully combined two careers, flight attendant and flight nurse, to become the most decorated woman in our military history. Keel was one of the first stewardesses hired by United Airlines when the United States entered World War II. 
She later served in the U.S. Army Air Forces and treated wounded and frostbitten crewmen after bombing raids over Europe. During World War II, Keel made 250 evacuation flights, 23 of which were transatlantic. After World War II, Keel returned to United Airlines as an assistant chief stewardess. In 1950, she was called back to duty as a flight nurse during the Korean War, amassing 175 air evacuations and logging 1,400 flying hours. Overall, she attended to more than 10,000 wounded soldiers, sailors, and Marines in the air. She was awarded 19 medals, including a European Theater Medal with four battle stars, a Korean Service Medal with seven battle scars, four air medals, and a presidential citation from the Republic of Korea. 1.16 Nazi Suppression Operation Argument Armed with new aircraft, tactics, and superior numbers, Operation Argument, otherwise known as Big Week, was launched with the objective of winning air superiority and crippling Germany's aircraft industry. The operation consisted of a series of attacks aimed against Nazi Germany from 20 to 25 February 1944. During this time, the 8th Air Force flew 3,300 heavy bomber sorties, the 15th Air Force added 500 commissions from Italy, and the Royal Air Force Bomber Command flew 2,750 night attacks aimed at German aircraft manufacturing plants. Nearly 4,000 fighter sorties were conducted as protective measures for operational assets. At a cost of 226 American bombers, 114 British heavies, and 41 U.S. Army Air Force fighters, Operation Argument damaged or destroyed over 500 Luftwaffe fighters and killed 400 pilots. Invasion of Normandy Although the Luftwaffe managed to replace many downed aircraft, it could not replace the 2,262 experienced pilots killed in the five months preceding the invasion of Normandy. By 6 June 1944, Allied air forces dominated the skies of Europe. On the first day of the invasion, widely recognized as D-Day, the Allies directed 8,722 U.S. Army Air Force and 5,676 Royal Air Force sorties against German defenses in France. In response, the Luftwaffe launched fewer than 100 sorties and only two German aircraft inflicted damage on the invasion beaches. Clearly, Allied bombers and fighters trumped the German Integrated Air Defense Network. Combined Bomber Offensive After the Normandy invasion, the combined bomber offensive devastated Germany's forces. From 1942 to 1945, the combined bomber offensive was the longest, bloodiest air campaign in history. According to the U.S. Strategic Bombing Survey, the Allies flew 1.69 million combat sorties and dropped 1.5 million tons of bombs. These missions killed and wounded over a million Germans and destroyed 3.6 million buildings. Inevitably, with the loss of over 20% of its forces, the Third Reich surrendered in May 1945, and General Spatz declared a strategic air war victory against Germany. It was clear that air power had emerged as a dominant weapon in Western Europe during World War II. Operation Chowhound In conjunction with the British humanitarian mission referred to as Operation Mana, in May 1945, the U.S. Army Air Forces delivered 4,000 tons of food to 3 million Dutch in the German-occupied Netherlands during Operation Chowhound. Ten groups of B-17 bombers flew 2,268 sorties, avoiding German anti-aircraft attacks and suffering minimal losses. Notable bravery and first Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, 
Paul W. Airy. In 1944, at the age of 20, Technical Sergeant Paul W. Airy and his fellow crewmen were shot down on their 28th mission outside of Vienna, Austria. He was held as a prisoner of war for 10 months, surviving a 90-day, 400-mile march from the Baltic Sea to Berlin before being liberated by the British Army in 1945. During the Korean War, Airy served as a radio repairman. He was awarded the Legion of Merit for saving more than a million dollars in electronic equipment that would have deteriorated without the corrosion control assembly line he developed. Airy became the first Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force in 1967. Notably, in 1988, Chief Airy received the Air Force Prisoner of War Medal, B-17 named in his honor, Sator Sanchez. Enlisted personnel served with honor throughout World War II. Sergeant Sator Smilin Sandy Sanchez flew 44 missions as an aerial gunner with the 95th Bomb Group, 19 more missions than required to complete his tour. After returning home for a brief period, rather than accepting an assignment as a gunnery instructor, he returned to Europe, flying with the 353D Bombardment Squadron in Italy. Sanchez's aircraft was hit by ground fire. Nine of the ten-member crew bailed out successfully but Sanchez never made it from the stricken aircraft. The raid against the last operational Nazi oil refinery on 15 March 1945 was successful, but it cost the life of one of the enlisted force's most decorated airmen. Sanchez was the only enlisted airman to have a B-17 named in his honor. 1.17 World War II Japanese Forces The Doolittle Raid the Japanese forces appeared invincible during the first six months of conflict in World War II. However, on 18 April 1942, Lieutenant Colonel James H. Jimmy Doolittle led 16 North American B-25 Mitchell medium bombers, launching from the carrier USS Hornet in a bombing raid on military targets in Tokyo, Kobe, and Nagoya, Japan. While the Doolittle raid inflicted little damage on Japanese efforts, and unfortunately destroyed almost the entire fleet of its own B-25s. The gesture shocked Japanese military leaders and boosted morale for the American public. Notable Bravery and Doolittle Raider James Doolittle General James H. Jimmy Doolittle's professional accomplishments are legendary. He was an air leader, aeronautical engineer, airplane racer, businessman, commanding general, oil company executive, special assistant to the chief of staff of the Air Force, and holder of the Medal of Honor. In 1922, Lieutenant Doolittle flew 22 hours and 35 minutes across the United States in a DH-4 with one refueling stop. In 1925, he won the Schneider Trophy in an overwater seaplane race when he established a world seaplane record at 245.713 miles per hour. In 1929, he was awarded the Harmon Trophy for being the first pilot to take off, fly a set course, and land using instruments alone. After a break in service, he returned to lead the 18 April 1942 Doolittle Raid on Japan. In 1985, U.S. Congress promoted Doolittle to four-star general, the first person in the Air Force Reserve's history to be promoted to that rank. 1.18 Atomic Era with great power comes great responsibility. Stemming as far back as 1896, when uranium was discovered to release an unknown radiation and radioactivity was related to the possibilities of atomic energy, the atomic era had begun. The potential uses for atomic energy ranged from nuclear medicine to fuel to weaponry. 
It wasn't until 1945 that the use of atomic energy was used as a nuclear weapon with the intention of putting an end to World War II. In July 1945, following a successful atomic test of the first nuclear bomb, Trinity, the Allied powers issued an ultimatum calling for the Japanese government to surrender or suffer prompt and utter destruction. Within a matter of weeks, specially modified B-29s delivered the first operational atomic bombs. On 6 August 1945, the B-29 Enola Gay dropped a uranium bomb known as Little Boy over Hiroshima. Nearly five square miles of the city were destroyed, and 80,000 people were killed. Three days later, on 9 August 1945, the B-29 Boxcar released a plutonium bomb called Fat Man on Nagasaki. Approximately 1.5 square miles were destroyed, 60,000 people were severely injured, and 35,000 people were killed. Faced with defeated military forces, burned cities, a declaration of war by the Soviet Union, the Japanese government surrendered on 14 August 1945. The use of atomic weapons of mass destruction proved to be an effective force in inflicting devastation on an enemy. Note, by June 1946, a United Nations-appointed commission completed a plan for the elimination of nuclear weaponry. It was proposed that inspectors would travel the globe to ensure no country was making atomic bombs and to supervise the dismantling of existing weapons. Unfortunately, that plan was vetoed by the Soviet Union, resulting in almost five decades of the Cold War. 1.19 Entering the Cold War In 1945, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill Soviet Premier Joseph Stalin and American President Franklin D. Roosevelt met to discuss the post-war division of Europe. The meeting did not go well, but it was foundational for the establishment of the United Nations. Although the United States and our Western allies had counted on the Soviet Union as a heroic nation struggling with them against Hitler, it was apparent even before World War II ended that the alliance would not survive the ideological gulf that separated capitalist democracies from the communist giant. After World War II, the United States and the Soviet Union aimed at increasing their ideologies and influences throughout the world.